0: And a welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if you mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Now, today, we're actually very fortunate because we've been allowed back into the studio and we're doing all the, you know, the health and safety protocols and things. Because we did try to do this offline in our own homes, but it didn't quite work this time. (laughs) So luckily, my guest today was happy to come on in. And here we are. You can't see us, but we're in our masks. We've got gloves on. And uh, we're all ready to to do this. So the sound quality should be a lot better today. So with that, I would like to introduce you to Isabella Ung, who is doing a PhD in political studies under the supervision of Drs. Elizabeth Goodyear-Grant and Stephanie Martel. Welcome to Grad Chat, Bella. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I wanted Bella on the show for a couple of reasons. One, she has a great topic that we're going to talk about next. But also, we do have a bit of a connection, even though it's more than probably six degrees. <laughs> <laughs> we may be cousins. We may be cousins. You never know. Because um, Bella, Bella comes from Myanmar. And even though... My mother isn't Burmese. She was born in Myanmar many, many years ago. So there's a little bit of a connection there. So um, when anyone talks about they've come from Myanmar, I'm I'm always, oh, the lights are up and I'm going, I want to have a good old chat. (laughs) But I know it's not all about me and my history and all that sort of thing. So I think it's going to be fun. Now, Bella's research topic is women's representation in new democracies, And underrepresentation of ethnic minority women in Burmese politics. So I have a couple questions before we talk more more fully about your research if I may. Why study the Burmese political environment other than the fact of your background?
1: Well there are two reasons, one being that it has been isolated from the international politics for more than six decades. And the second being that it is now very timely due to a military coup right. still going on. And it started on February 1st. So those are the main reasons.
0: And actually, that was that was actually my second question, uh, because we have heard about what's going on in Myanmar. And particularly over the weekend, it sort of got even worse, I would say, going through this military coup. Have you had to reframe your research to reflect this change? Because even though some of it was happening when you probably started, it's not quite to the same as what's been going on recently.
1: Definitely. So in my research topic right now, it says in new democracies. And mm-hmm. uh, with the coup going on right now, we're not sure what type of regime would um, come out of this political situation. Right. So we might have to reframe it to fit whatever system they come up with once the queue is over. Right. And also, I was focusing more on the representation, more or less, in terms of formally. So, you know, how many ethnic minority women are in the parliament or in the president office or in the judicial branches of the government? But now, because there have been a lot of ethnic minority women activists leading the people's movement... I have been talking with my supervisors about actually studying um, the informal representation rather than the formal. Right. So still representation, still Burmese politics, but just framed more differently to fit the more urgent needs of political science.
0: So, I guess, I mean, you've actually sort of outlined a little bit about what your research is going to be about anyway. So, it's actually unfortunate the majority of people probably only know when, it, when it, we're talking about Burma or Myanmar, as it's now called, only know about Unsan Suu Kyi or the Rohingya and the political challenges currently going on within Myanmar. So, I was wondering if you could provide us with a better understanding, firstly, of the political system, the whatever the political system you think is there right now. For example, what are the three branches of government in Myanmar? And then what are the various minority groups that you're talking about? You know, where are they demographically within Myanmar, apart from the Rohingya that we always hear about? Mm. Because I know there's a lot more.
1: So currently we do not have a legitimate government right now, but the military general who started the coup has already formed a committee with um a lot of military personnel in charge not sure what they are calling it right now but right before that we had a civilian government and the three different branches of government which still exist even under the current circumstances mm-hmm. so um we modeled after the American democracy a little bit okay so the judicial you know all the judges the high courts for each province and state and then the executive where we have one elected president and actually have two vice presidents. Okay. And then the third, we do have the electoral. So, you know, the upper and lower houses of the parliament. So those are the three branches. A little bit of background history, we got independence from the Brits, 48. Yes. And then we have, you know, we have a pretty good civilian government going, but a military coup happened. In 1962, and we've been under two different military regimes after that. And then there has been transition to democracy in 2010 until very recently. Now, February 1st, we are back under military. So that is the gist. Mm -hmm. And about the last part of the question, where the ethnic minorities are. So basically, um, Burma, Myanmar has seven ethnic minority states, and then seven provinces. Okay. So basically, the provinces are more of the mainland, the port cities, those type of regions, and the populations in those provinces are actually ethnic majority. So most provinces are Burma-dominant in terms of ethnicity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the states, they are actually called ethnic minority states. And each, there are seven of them, and each of them is named after... Each of the seven biggest indigenous populations in Burma. Right. So they are all bordering the country. So we also call them the borderlands. So some are bordering with China, Bangladesh, Thailand, Laos, right. India, sort of like that. So there's seven of them. And um, the Rohingyas, they are actually right on the border of Bangladesh and Myanmar.
0: Right, right. But that's the main one that we've been hearing a lot about up until this coup. Exactly. That's the one that we were hearing a lot about. I didn't realise after forty eight when Myanmar got independence. And then things were going okay for a while until mm-hmm. it seems like the military kind of did their bit or usual some sort of dictator and things that comes along and Yeah. Which is a shame. A real a real shame. So what roles, I mean, these these minority states that you're talking about, actually, I remember my, my grandfather talking about the different tribes and things, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming means the minority, um, minority populations. And so what roles have minorities or indigenous people played in Burmese politics, both formally or informally, throughout history?
1: Well, under the British colonial system, the Brits had different systems of governing the Burma majority and then the Anglo-Burmese or, you know, the diaspora from all over British Burma. because we were also a part of British Burma. So they governed the mainlanders in a different way, but they also governed the indigenous people in separate ways. So these states were kind of disconnected from the ethnic-majority Burma people. Right. But then when people started to fight against the colonialism, General Aung San, who is one of our main freedom leaders. Well, he actually is the father of Aung San Suu Kyi. Yes. So there's that connection. So he actually wanted to get some support and work together with the indigenous population scattered around the country. Right. So that's the first time the indigenous people formally collaborated with the majority Mm -hmm. to fight against the colonial system because you know there's the common public enemy and the general promised them that you know once the English is gone they will have a federal democracy where indigenous people will have their own nations and will be able to govern equally like the mainlanders
0: would do. So is that like for instance, in the, looking at Canada with the provinces having their regulations, and then there's the federal. Yes, exactly. Okay.
1: So that was what we were going for with, you know, equity and all. Right. But did not happen. Well, it did happen for a little bit, but the direction was completely blown up in 62, and that minority people have not recovered since. Right. Yeah. And um, other ways, minority people and indigenous people have been. Um, involved in Burmese politics is that there have been a lot of civil um, civil wars going on. Actually, Myanmar is known as the country with the longest um, ongoing civil conflict in the world. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So we've been at civil war at one place or another of the country for the past 70 years, like consecutively. Wow. So, you know, mainlanders don't really know that, but the indigenous people, they are the ones who... Bears the brunt of it, right? For all those decades, so there has been tension. There has been a lot of political struggles, and now fast forward to the coup, they now again join forces with the civilians, with from all different religions and you know ethnic backgrounds to mm-hmm. fight against the military.
0: Right. Okay.
1: I think. They don't want to do secession anymore. They right. used to fight for it right. when the military first took over, but now they just want to still be under the umbrella of the federal right. union, but they want to have their own provincial rules. They right. want to... And they want to be acknowledged. Yeah, they want to teach in their languages.
0: They want right. to speak their languages without getting killed, all that stuff. Right. right, which is un- totally understandable. So why is it important to study Myanmar or other sort of lesser-known developing global South countries? Why I mean, apart from your obvious background. <laughs> well, before I double down on Myanmar,
1: for my undergrad, I studied a comparison between Myanmar and Indonesia. Okay. And then I also work as a research assistant on um, different, you know, feminist research, political science projects. Mm-hmm. And I've always opted to work on the Global South Country specifically. If I can, if there's a project where we have to collect global data, I'm like, give me anything global south. I want it. (laughs) I want to do that. (laughs) Because I feel like one, there's a few reasons, but I think the number one reason for me is that these states, although they are always having the most political instability or political changes going on within them, people... In the mainstream academia, just want to study, let's say, American politics, Canadian politics, English politics. Right. So if we're just studying countries, you know, which already have established political systems, people are relatively doing well. Right. And just leaving the places where people are actually dying all the time. And you might want to, you know, focus your energy on research there a little Mm -hmm. bit. That might help people a little bit more. So that's one of the main reasons. And another one is that, unfortunately, in academia, especially because I work on international relations, it is very Eurocentric. Right. So most of the politics that we've been trained in theoretically, they all come from very Western positivist, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: positivist backgrounds and They just see everything from an English perspective, recently like a North American perspective. And it just doesn't work. Mm. Because a lot of global South countries have been going under the democratic change, regime changes. And what Western, and usually mostly white, researchers have been doing is that they take a Western democracy model and try to fit it into a global South nation and study it through its lenses. And they get confused and frazzled and a lot of the times give up
0: mm-hmm.
1: on studying these countries because they cannot understand without adapting to fit the unique situations individually. Right, right. So that is the reason why there is a need for more culturally sensitive,
0: culturally mindful researchers. Yeah. And it's interesting with Myanmar too because like you said, there are the seven minority states as well which makes it rather unique country where you've got the ethnic majority but then you've got these seven ethnic minority groups Mm -hmm. and how how well they fit in the big big picture and how well they can get on with each other for the greater good of the whole country
1: exactly so there's actually 135 officially recognized ethnic groups including the bama majority And those are the ones um, legally recognized in the census right right now. So the Rohingyas, unfortunately, are kicked out of it in the 80s. And the anglo burmese are not a thing. So you either change your identity to fit one of the 135, or you don't get citizenship, voting, anything at all. Wow. So there's a lot of struggles of, you know, each of these many groups fitting into the mainstream government it is very difficult the seven i focus on the seven biggest groups because at least the central government had to acknowledge that okay these are the biggest groups and they are strong in population so we have to at least give them whether or not it is a token spot in politics right
0: we have to so tell me a bit more about the the female side of politicians. I mean, there's one, the issue, like you just said, is with the minority um, groups of them getting representation. But what about female representation? Everyone knows about Aung San Suu Kyi. She's a big one that everyone, the world sees. Maybe mm-hmm. not so in, in Myanmar, but...
1: Um. Aung San Suu Kyi is very big. I feel like her status is more of a local goddess rather than a politician. Right. The reason mainly being that her her political legacy, General Aung San is loved by almost everyone all over the country due right. to his you know, fight and sacrifice. Yes. He got assassinated yes. while working for the independence from the British. Yep. So being his daughter gave her a lot of credits even before she started um, coming back from England to work on politics in Burma in 1988. Right. But she's the big one. But unfortunately for other women, if not everyone has that kind of super mm-hmm. legacy. So for other women, it has been very rare to see women, even when they are from the ethnic majority group, working in any of the three
0: government branches. So when you mentioned about the three different government branches, that's on a federal level, but is there, did you say there was within each of the states, there's a different levels as well? Well, for the
1: judicial, yes, there's, you know, separate, separate supreme courts for each state. So, for example, the Kachin state, which is the northernmost part of the country, is also an ethnic minority state. They have their own Kachin State Supreme Court. You know, they do right. a lot of, you know, legal work there. But the country also has a Supreme Court overall. So right. each of the states and provinces has their own judicial systems, but we also have a federal one. The parliament is at it the, the federal level. So we have the upper and the lower houses. But once you move into within the states and provinces, it is now called the Senate.
0: And okay. they have their own little Senate houses. Right. It seems the judicial part is, is is that the stepping stone in getting to, into the politics?
1: You know, people would think it that way because in the States, uh, a lot of people do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Presidents get law degrees. Right. And we can presidents like Obama, there's a lot of them. But in Burma, we haven't really seen that So it's really interesting. And I've looked into, you know, maybe people with political science degrees or people with IR degrees would do that too. But we haven't seen much crossover over there either.
0: It's very different from the West. Okay. So how do people get started in politics there? And particularly females? Females under the
1: military regimes. A lot of the females who are in politics they are usually placed in national organizations that works for supposedly the welfare of women and children, the kind of very gendered organizations. Okay. Right. And those organizations are led by the wives of the military generals. Oh, so that's how it went okay. when, up until when I was a child. I left in
0: 2006, but things were still that way. So like the family stuff, education, that all that became a female role in politics?
1: Yes. So the family stuff really became a female role. And for people without connections, like they don't, they have no personal connections with the military, they start out, you know, studying political science, which is really, really rare because the... Feel has been banned on and off from the country throughout the regime. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so you couldn't even officially go and study political science until the civilian government happened in 2010 or so. The first international relations university batch opened up around 2012 or 2013. So it's really, well, I don't want to say clever, but I have to acknowledge that. Well, more of a cunning way to just disengage the whole population from knowing about politics so that the right. regime can stay in power for long. But back to the topic of the females, women who are very ambitious, they try to study political science or international relations in the few countries that had connections with international aid with the country, so Japan and other Southeast Asian countries. Okay. And they came back to the country and they teach at the universities or they teach, you know, history or related social sciences at schools. Right. So women's participation was limited to that. But once the country switched to a more civilian government, there was a steady growth of um, different political parties. It started out with just the main military-backed political party, but then around 2012, Aung San Suu Kyi started you know, hyping up her party a lot and people wanted to join and she was recruiting like, oh, we're feminists, we'll get the women in. So a lot of women who support her, you know, got into the party, working in different roles like admin, even if they're not running for the seats. So it's only after 2010 that women, uh, we start seeing women in more formal
0: political roles. 2010, that's taken a long time, hasn't it? to yeah. get into those sorts of roles. And I guess now that's been stifled again it with, has, with what's going on with the current mili- military coup.
1: Yes, it has been stifled again. They are reaching out to, you know, different people, different candidates who lost the election back in November 2020 to work with the military government. You know, they're giving out minister positions and stuff. So there's a couple of women that is, who accepted these positions, but still overall when we look at the
0: new illegitimate government formed by the military, mm-hmm. it's mostly men. Mostly men. And I, and I guess, too, the not just women, but the ethnic minority women are going to have even less chance right now if things remain the way they're remaining over these past few weeks. Exactly, because Myanmar
1: has an official language, which is Burmese. And for ethnic for an ethnic minority person... Even if they are a man and have the gender privilege, they still have to be fluent in Burmese and they have to have been assimilated enough that they can fit in right. within the, um, you know, higher up political
0: circles, regardless of who is in charge. Yeah, and it's a matter of whether those that are in charge actually listen. So it's not just tokenism. Exactly. Yeah. Not not a good thing. So, you know, coming back to your your topic, you know, women's representation in new democracies and the under-representation of ethnic minority women Burne- Burmese politics, with this current military coup, what, what do you make of that now? And particularly in relation to your research topic. I mean, you mentioned you're probably going to have to change it. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe this is... Well... I guess we're all hoping that this military coup will sort of stand down, so to speak. But if it doesn't, how's that going to affect your current research?
1: Well, if it doesn't, which is a very difficult word for me to say. Yes. But if it doesn't, I've already talked with one of my supervisors that I will still look at ethnic minority women because I am also one. I have Karen and Mon ancestry. Okay. So I really want to still look at my people. Yes. But we'll have to first change the fieldwork. As of now, fieldwork in Myanmar, totally impossible. Mm -hmm. Airports are under siege. Right. But we are thinking Thailand, possibly around Chiang Mai. Okay. Which is right on the border with Burma. Okay. And, you know, there's a massive Burmese population. And on the borderlands of Thailand, there's a lot of political refugees who are we trying to organize right from outside of the border to help the country get right. back on track? So I will still have a lot of you know a big political network. Right. So I will still do field work, but it will have to be along the borders in
0: yeah. Thailand. because so- it, it wouldn't be safe for you. I mean, like apart from the the airports being under siege, it wouldn't. Would it not? Are you saying it wouldn't be safe for you to go back right now? Anyway, it wouldn't be safe
1: for me to go back in right now. Is that because of your studying political science? Well, there's a lot of factors. I, I'm extremely politically active, so that's really not gonna help. Right. And also, I was thinking of going to you know each of the seven ethnic minority states, mm-hmm. but right now transportation from even one city to another is extremely difficult this very heavy military presence so just logistics wouldn't work out if we go back to
0: a military government not going to be easy for you one because i mean having to potentially change your research topic but also on a personal note it must be very difficult for you
1: yeah i i mean i think it is difficult well, I mean, I sound quite cheery talking about this, which is, you know, I don't want the listeners to think the other way, but I grew up with that. So right, this right. is more on the normal side of things for me Okay. than compared to, you know, what the listeners might be thinking, oh my God, this is horrendous. It is horrendous, but it is the trauma that Indigenous peoples are used to. Right, right. <laughs>
0: So, OK, so let me go off your research for just for a little bit, because you're highly involved with other things at Queen's as well. And, and I'm really glad you're here at Queen's. And you're, you're, you serve as both a mentor and a mentee in a group called Women in International Security here at Queen's. What Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, my supervisor, Dr. Stephanie Mattal, she is
1: an international relations scholar's And she's very active in, you know, connecting her students and any students interested in international relations and security with, you know, networks where they can have connections to showcase their work, publishing opportunities, just get advice from, you know, more senior academics within the field. It is just a very welcoming organization. Um, They also have a main, you know, Women in International Securities Canada but Queens has a chapter on our own. Okay, great. So um, I just joined from by Dr. Mendel's recommendation, and I am mentoring a fourth-year student within the department, and I'm also mentored by an emerging scholar, so right. a postdoctoral, right, a postdoctoral fellow in BC. So it has been really nice having all these connections, and it is quite cool mm-hmm. to see, you know, the the spot that I'm at where I can still learn a lot from the other people, but I've also learned enough
0: at this level
1: that I can also give back to the women in this very male-dominated field of study.
0: That's fantastic, though. What a great opportunity for you. And
1: like Mm -hmm. you said, I think
0: it's... Like you you said it really well, it's really nice that you're in that middle section because you've still got someone helping you, but with all the stuff that you've already learned yourself, both personally and, and professionally, you can impart that on... Uh, the up-and-comers. Yeah, it's been really exciting. I've been enjoying it a lot. That's good. I'm I'm glad you're doing that. And you're also on the Mental Health Committee. Uh, What's the PSGSA? So PSGSA is
1: Political Studies Graduate Ah. Students Association. It's within the department. All the grad students, master's, PhDs, um, we're in it. And I am in this new academic year, so 2020-2021, comedy on the mental health along with three other wonderful grad students. And due to COVID, all the, you know, organizing and event planning has been online, but we try to come up with ideas that will help with students' mental wellness during
0: this very isolated pandemic grad school Mm -hmm. experience. Right, right, which is, yeah, we're all, We've all got that challenge in different ways, don't we? I mean, even us today, we're here sitting with our masks on. <laughs> just, to, just to add to the complication. So I guess my last question for you is, and I'm, you know, I am know I've flipped a little bit here, going back to your research, regardless of which way your research has to go, what is the end result that you want to be able to do with your research?
1: Well, that's a very good question. I think the end game is just to incorporate indigenous and ethnic minority voices into the Burmese politics and into the mainstream political science academia. That has always been my goal as a political scientist and a researcher. Right. And by doing so, I believe that I will be decolonizing academia in my own way. You know, people still argue and disagree about how to decolonize academia, but personally I think that for us indigenous women, women of color, just being present in this type of very institutional, colonial, male-dominated fields and getting through the pipeline without falling off, and completing this research and getting my PhD, I would be very proud.
0: You're well on the way, I'm sure. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you've got two great supervisors. You clearly know what you want to be able to do. And so it's been a pleasure talking to you about it. I know it's a tough subject to talk about, but I guess what you're saying is someone's got to get out there and do it. Otherwise, we only have one view. Exactly. So why not be you, which is great. Thank you so much. All right. So best of luck with all of that. And thank you so much for taking the time to come in. Because I know, like we said earlier, we did try and do this, Outside the the studio, but here we are. We're in the studio now. So thank you for coming in today to do that. Thank you so much. And one last
1: plug for yes. the audience: Please follow hashtag What's Happening in Myanmar. Yes. Everyone within the country, regardless of the brutal regimes, you know, trying to cut off the internet. The generation Z is amazing. They try to get the words and the live footage out so we know what's happening. So.
0: Yes. Please retweet, please follow the activists, please support us. So that's hashtag What's Happening Myanmar. Yes. Great. Well, we can get that out there. Thank you very much. So that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat suddenly sadly, comes to an end. But don't forget, you can download this show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray.